shut the light off. Thank you. Um, as we continue our series in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we come to uh, one of the real high points in the letter of Paul to the Corinthians tonight, because he's been building throughout this letter, getting ready to basically encourage them to open up their hearts to him once again. And so we're going to see that tonight. But let's remember that this entire letter written from Paul to the Corinthians is all about building confidence in them as they live and serve God. And so we've been talking a lot about that. God wants to build confidence in your life as you live for him and as you serve him. And this letter, more than probably any other letter in the New Testament, really reveals uh, the ministry and, and serving the Lord and Paul's heart for that and all that Paul went through. And he shares a lot of his own personal uh, testimony, if you will, about all that he went through to serve the Lord, to, to encourage uh, other Christians and, and, and to share with them, look, serving the Lord is not easy. It's a very difficult and challenging thing, but there's nothing more fulfilling and satisfying in this world than not only knowing the Lord, but having the privilege of serving him. And Paul starts out with that very fact and, and builds on that throughout this chapter, because notice in verse one of second Corinthians six, he says, now, because we are fellow workers and in the context, the fellow workers isn't, he's not talking about Christians working with each other. He's talking here about the fact that you and I have the privilege of working with God, of being a companion with God in what he is doing on the earth. You get that from the context. If you go back a few verses into chapter 5, where we looked last week, we saw where we are ambassadors for Christ. Chapter 5, verse 20. We are privileged representatives. And Paul goes on to say, we plead with you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. And so Paul is saying, we get the privilege of cooperating and being a companion with God himself in the work that he is doing on this earth. And with that in mind, Paul then is going to share with us things that we need to keep in mind if you and I are going to cooperate with God. If we're going to be a companion with God, in living life, and especially in reaching out and impacting others for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then Paul's going to share with us some things that we need to keep in mind. Now, if you want to do your own thing, and you want to be the Lone Ranger Christian, and you want to be out there on your own, and you don't want to cooperate with other Christians or cooperate with God, this chapter's not for you. But if you want to learn to cooperate with God and work with Him and work with others, then this chapter is going to be a great chapter for you to dive into. For notice what Paul then begins to say, verse 1. Now, because we are fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Paul is saying, when we go through life, and when we're cooperating with God and we are his companion along the way, God is going to dispense his grace, his supernatural empowerment and enablement to handle each and every one of life's situations. But we have a choice. 
we can choose according to the word of God to receive God's grace so that we can handle, so that we can rise above the circumstances of life, or we can push God's grace away. We can refuse it. We can reject it. And Paul is just basically reminding us as we walk through life with God, let's make sure that we are very receptive to the grace of God. That, that we are good soil, if you will. That, that we are, have a receptive heart to, to God's grace that he wants to bring to us in each and every situation in life. Because every Christian is going to have a choice. When we go through something, we can either choose to receive the grace that God wants to pour out in our lives in order for us to deal with it, handle it, rise above it, go through it, whatever, or we can reject it and refuse it. And the writer of Hebrews tells us a little bit about what happens then if we refuse it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. So that a root of bitterness does not begin to, to make itself known inside of us. And then he goes on to say, which will not only defile us, but will trouble all around us. That's what bitter people do. You see, if I receive the grace of God, then I will have, in a sense, his grace, his supernatural enablement to get through it. But if I reject it, then what ends up happening is I begin to get bitter. I begin to get resentful. I begin to start having a really bad attitude. And, and it's very important. And that's what Paul's saying. Be careful. I'm urging you. The word urge is the word parakaleo, where we get the idea of coming alongside, to like, you know, put your arm around somebody and say, come on, you got to do this. And Paul's saying, I had to learn in my life that I had to accept God's grace in each and every situation and everything that I went through or else I knew that my attitude was going to go south real quick. And I would start to resent God and resent others and get bitter and, and, and just, it was a root that would just begin to form in my life and, and everything that I did and every way I looked, it, it would come through that bitter sort of window that I developed in my life. And, and also what Paul is saying by the fact that, that if I don't receive God's uh, grace, that, that I end up, it ends up in vain, is that, you know, God wants to pour out his grace, but if I do reject it, then I also begin to sort of feel empty-handed. I feel destitute of all the spiritual resources that God really has given me and supplied me, but if I push God's grace away, I don't feel that way. I feel like I've got nothing. I feel like I'm, I'm empty-handed, that I'm deficient, that I'm destitute. Even though the Bible says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, even though in Christ I am complete, even though I know that if I have God, I have everything that I need, when we refuse God's grace... We begin to live life, in a sense, in vain. Instead of realizing how wealthy and rich and resourceful we are through Christ, we begin to think, I got nothing. And we begin to see ourselves as lacking, as poor, as needy, rather than as spiritually well-off 
and wealthy. That's how important receiving the grace of God is. So the first message really from Paul then in cooperating with God is be receptive to God's grace when he gives it to you. And by the way, I'll say this about God's grace. God will give you and I the grace we need for today, but not for tomorrow. Tomorrow's grace will come tomorrow. Which is why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own trouble. Just get through today with God's grace that he's giving you for today. And when you wake up tomorrow, God is faithful. He will give you the grace that you need for tomorrow. Which is why Paul goes on to say then in verse 2. For he says, quoting scripture from the Old Testament, I heard you at the accepted time, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. In other words, Paul's saying, when God's grace comes, receive it. And don't don't interpret or don't apply salvation here to just receiving Christ. Remember, salvation has three tenses. And many times in the Word of God, Christians shortchange the, the, the word salvation, thinking it just is talking about the moment someone accepts Christ as their Savior. That's part of it. But remember, salvation is not only being saved from the penalty of sin when we accept Christ as our Savior, it is being saved from the power of sin throughout our Christian life, and one day being saved from the very presence of sin when we are glorified with Jesus Christ in heaven. So salvation is also just being delivered from the powers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Paul's basically saying here, when God gives you His grace, receive it, don't reject it. Because in that time that you receive it, you in a sense are still being saved. You and I are being delivered. We're being rescued from nothing else, the root of bitterness that could come into our life. And so he says, don't push God's grace away and do it urgently. Receive it urgently. Then in verse three, he says, be careful. He says, we do not give anyone an occasion for taking an offense in anything so that no fault No discredit may be found with our ministry. See, Paul says when we're cooperating with God, one of the things that that we'll always be conscious of is the fact that we are God's representatives. And that the message that we know changes lives and transforms lives can get lost in the messenger. If the messenger is not agreeable, if the messenger is not attractive, then neither will the message be. And so Paul said, we lived our lives as apostles of Christ, trying to make sure that everything we did was so above board, so honorable, so excellent, that no one had a problem with the message because they wouldn't have a problem with the messenger. And Paul says, that's something we all need to keep in mind as we cooperate with God. God ties his message to the messenger. I don't know why God does that. Because a lot of times we, others aren't as interested in what we have to say because they can't hear what we're saying by the way we're living. And Paul is saying we've got to be careful how we always live and come across and present ourselves. We talked about that last week. Because the message is tied up in it. Our ministry, our effectiveness to be able to impact others comes back to how we come across. 
And so Paul said, listen, we didn't want to give anyone an occasion to take an offense in anything so that the no fault, no discredit again may be found with our ministry. Then he goes on, but as God's servants, we have commended ourselves in every way. And here's the next key. These next three words with great endurance. If you and I are going to cooperate with God, we need to be receptive to God's grace. We need to be careful of how we're coming across. We need to realize that the message that we bring is tied to the messenger. And we need to understand that everything that God is walking with us through, He does with one of the main purposes to build our endurance. That's what God is interested in. Not the shortcuts that the world wants to take. Not the easy fixes. There are, that's not biblical. There's nothing shortcut or easy with becoming like Jesus Christ and reaching people for Christ and discipling men and women to spiritual maturity. There's nothing. As we talked about Sunday, it's, it's hard work. It's filled with challenges and opposition and difficulties. And therefore, God wants to build up in our life such an inner endurance, a staying power, a, a willingness to hang in there in spite of the difficulties. That's what the word endurance in the Greek language means. It's a supernatural staying power that God wants to build into our lives. And God does that actually out of love because God knows that life necessitates endurance. And therefore, if you and I are not willing to have our endurance built up by the things that we go through, then we will lack in that endurance and we will remain weak and every time life hits us with something or something comes our way, we'll just want to throw up our hands and give up. We'll just want to throw in the towel. Our first thought will be, God, take this away rather than, Lord, give me the endurance to go through it and to get even stronger so that when the next thing comes along, I've got that inner strength and inner endurance to be able to go through it. And, and we begin to build up a confidence then in our life as a Christian. That if I went through this with God, then I can handle that with God. And then I can handle this with God. And we begin to look at life and all the challenges and obstacles and opposition in such a different way. When endurance is being built in our lives. We see the lack of it even in the Old Testament when God said, I, I want to give you this land flowing with milk and honey. And they sent the messengers, the spies in, and the spies came back and said, you know, there's giants in the land and we can't do it. No endurance. You, you know how they lacked endurance. You know, they got a little bit, God delivered them, and all of a sudden they got to the edge of the Red Sea and, well, we just came out here and he just came out the... No endurance. 
So then God had to part the Red Sea miraculously with Moses and they go across there and then they started making the calf and everything. And it, it was always like they would get a little bit farther and then they would sit down and they would quit. They, they couldn't keep going. They didn't have the inner stamina, if you will, that supernatural spiritual stamina to keep on going. Every time something came in their way, they just sort of sat down and started to murmur and complain. And you know that's exactly what God said. He said, I have a problem with you. All you go around doing is murmuring and complaining. So guess what? You're going to wander for 40 years and just murmur and complain. I'll feed you manna burgers every once in a while. And so notice what Paul says. Out of his own mouth and out of his own testimony of his own life, notice what he says. He says, this endurance was so necessary for me because God took me through persecutions. He took me through difficulties. He took me through distresses. And all three of those words really speak to a, an unusual pressure being applied to our life. We've talked about that concept before. We all face pressure. And, you know, our, our first inclination is, God, get rid of the pressure. God's perspective is, why don't you let me build up that inner strength and endurance so that you can resist the pressure? <laughs> then he goes on to say, oh, by the way, in beatings, that's being punched and flogged, in imprisonments, in riots, in troubles, in sleepless nights, in hunger. Wow. Paul didn't have it easy serving the Lord, did he? But he endured. And here's part of how he endured. Verse 6. By purity. The word means undiluted. In other words, part of the reason why Paul could endure, he didn't have a lot of distractions in his life. He was single-minded. There was no dilution in the mix with Paul. It was all in. I'm crucified with Christ. One, this one thing I do, I'm going after knowing Jesus Christ. That's the, Paul was single-minded. Secondly, by knowledge. Not just an accumulation of knowledge, but Paul here, the word means a hungering and seeking after, thirsting after God. Knowing Him more. That's how he could endure. By patience. <laughs> you can't endure unless we have patience. By benevolence, the word means goodness or kindness. By the enablement of the Holy Spirit. By genuine or sincere love. By God's word or truthful teaching, as Paul says here. By the power of God. And then he goes on to say with weapons, meaning the weapons of God, instruments, the tools of God on, of righteousness on both the right hand and the left. In biblical times, when they would use the right hand and the left, the right hand was usually used for offensive weapons. The left hand was usually used for defensive weapons. So Paul's just simply saying, God had me covered. God gave me every weapon, all the armor that I needed. He, I had all the offensive weapons that I needed. I had all the defensive weapons I needed. Of course, Paul illustrates all that in Ephesians chapter 6. Then notice what he says. Then he goes on to say, through, very important word in verse 8, not around, God didn't take him around it, but through everything. That's how we endure. It's not by escaping, 
See, the world today wants to escape everything that comes. We have become a fragile people on this earth. We have become weak. We can't handle things very well. And then the things that we go to to try to cope, all the coping mechanisms, they never help. Because there's nothing strong or enduring in them anyway. So notice Paul says, through glory. In other words, sometimes I receive positive attention and dishonor. Sometimes I received negative attention. Through slander. Sometimes it was hurtful words that people said about me and to me. Other times it was praise. It was encouraging words. He said sometimes we were regarded as imposters, as fakes, as pretenders. Other times we were regarded as true, as being real and transparent. Sometimes we were unknown, meaning we were ignored. We were without recognition. Yet other times we were well-known, meaning we were appreciated and fully recognized. As dying, Paul said, and see, we continue to live. As those who are scourged, beaten, and yet not executed or put to death. As sorrowful, but always rejoicing. As poor, as far as this world is concerned, and yet making many spiritually rich. As having nothing, Paul says, and yet possessing everything. And Paul is saying all that and sharing his own personal story of ministry to say, guys, I needed to have endurance in my life. You need endurance in your life. And that's what God wants to build. God wants to build endurance. That's why later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to say, when I got the thorn in my flesh, I went to God and said, God, take it away. And God said, no, you've got to learn, Paul. My grace is sufficient. I don't need to always take things away. I want to take you through. I've used this illustration before. God rescued Daniel's friends through the fire. See, God wants to take us through the fire. We we somehow don't. We think that if I'm living for God, God will allow me to escape the fire. And God is saying, look, the only way you and I can build up endurance, the kind of endurance that we need in order to be Christians, the kind of endurance we need to cooperate with God, the kind of endurance we need to make an impact for Jesus Christ, the kind of endurance we need to navigate life can only be made through the fire. And so Paul's saying, instead of living life trying to escape the fire, Every Christian should get to the point through their spiritual growth and maturity where they realize that God has me covered and He has all the strength and grace I need to take me through whatever fire i got to go through. Then he gets to verse 11, 12, and 13. And these are verses probably more than any that Paul had been waiting to say to the Corinthians ever since he began the letter. Because you know as we started this, that there had been a rift between Paul and the Corinthians, that the Corinthians had been influenced by false teachers who had turned many of them against Paul. And they began to sort of distance themselves from Paul and, and the closeness and the fellowship and all of that that Paul used to have with many of them was no longer. And it hurt Paul. 
And so Paul says this, we have spoken freely to you. The words spoken freely in the Greek literally mean to be open. We were open to you. We opened ourselves up to you, Paul says. Our heart has been opened wide to you. Our affection, which I've shared this with you before, is a word that literally in the Greek language is the word for bowels and intestines. Our passion for you is not restricted in any way, Paul said. But you are restricted in your affections for us. Now as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts to us also. You can hear the emotion in Paul's voice as he writes these words. Because you and I have all been there. There have been times in our life where we were trying to love someone. Wanted so much to love someone. Wanted to shower someone with love. And they pushed us away. They didn't want any parts of it. And Paul's saying, look, if you and I are going to cooperate with God, We've got to be willing to open ourselves up to the love that others want to give to us. We can't shut down, folks. It's so sad today because in many churches and with many Christians, there's a coldness. It's like they've already just sort of like put up the walls and they're not letting anybody in. And I just want to commend you all Because we've got a long way to go, obviously, as a church. But one of the things I love about you all is that you are willing to put your hearts out there and to love people and welcome them. And there's a warmth here. Can I tell you, being in ministry for 29 years, you don't always find that in churches. Some churches you walk in and it's just, it's just cold. Because everybody goes to that church, but they pretty much shut themselves off to each other. And there's no real family relationships. They don't look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the Bible teaches us. And they don't really allow their lives to be opened up to anybody. And Paul's simply saying, you and I are going to miss God and miss what God wants to do in and through our lives if we're not willing to open up ourselves to others who want to love us. Paul says, open up your heart again to us. All we want to do is love you. But now, I love this. On the heels of that, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says to the Corinthians, but don't misunderstand me or don't take this too far. Because the next thing Paul's going to say is, that doesn't mean you open yourself up to everybody and anybody. Because besides being open, we also have to be discriminating in our relationships. And he especially wants to zero in on unbelievers that have influenced the Corinthians. Because that must have been a real problem with the Corinthian believers. Notice what he says. Do not become partners, verse 14, with those who do not believe. For what partnership? 
What fellowship, what sharing in common is there between righteousness, those seeking God's approval, and lawlessness, those disregarding what God says? Or what fellowship, what community, what participation, what association does light have with darkness? And what agreement or harmony does Christ have with Belial, Satan? It's a name for Satan. What does a believer share in common with an unbeliever? And what mutual agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And so Paul's saying, look, as we know, balancing scripture with scripture, Paul's not saying, don't ever be around unbelievers, because how can we let our light shine and be a witness? But Paul's saying, it's a whole different level between being around an unbeliever and knowing that you're around them primarily to be a witness and a light for Christ and entering into a partnership, a fellowship, a close, intimate relationship with an unbeliever, allowing that unbeliever to be a heavy influence in your life. Paul says, why? You've got Christian brothers and sisters and you're on the same page. And here's the, here's the, you know, the odd thing in this thing, and it happens even with Christians today. They won't open up themselves to other believers but they are more than willing to open themselves up to unbelievers. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because I've been there and I've thought the same thing. But yes, yeah, sometimes unbelievers are easier to get along with. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Sometimes they are. But there comes a point where there's only so much, again, that is in harmony, in agreement, there's, there's only so much in common where you are going to be on the same page with an unbeliever. And pretty soon, if it's any kind of relationship at all, you're going to start to go this way. Or either, what happens is the Christian begins to forsake cooperating with God and walking the narrow, difficult road that leads to life and starts to compromise and starts to go the way of the unbeliever. And so Paul in this great passage says, be receptive to God's grace. Be careful how we live and how we come across because our message is tied to the messenger. Understand that everything God takes us through and everything we go through is to build endurance in our lives. God wants us to be open to his love and to the love of other believers especially. But that doesn't mean that we're not discriminating in our relationships. We do have to be careful. In fact, even the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, I think it's in chapter 12, verse 10. Don't quote me on that. But I think it's in Proverbs 12 where Solomon says to be cautious in our friendships. And we should. But that doesn't mean we don't open ourselves up to anybody. I mean, can you imagine the Apostle Paul wanted to love on these people and disciple them and, and they wanted none of it? Can you imagine? Yeah, Paul wanted to be in my life, but I didn't have any time for Paul. We would all go, you're nuts! But see, see how relationships can... And I've seen it, and I will continue to see it till the day I die. 
people are funny and people are fickle and certain relationships will just turn other people against other people and you go, what happened? Sometimes you don't even really know what happened. And then Paul says, be distinct. If you and I are going to cooperate and be God's companion along this journey, we also need to be distinct. God said in verse 16, I will live in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people, but they must be willing to come out, to stand up and stand out from their midst. And in the context, he's talking about the unbelieving world that lives in opposition to God. And he says, be separate, be distinct. We cannot be like the world. The lie today, even from Satan himself, is that the church, in order to reach the world, needs to be like the world. That's a lie. The way you and I reach the world and show them the difference that Jesus Christ makes is by being different, by being distinct, not by being like them. And yet, again, many Christians and many churches have bought into that philosophy. We got to be like the world to reach the world. And Jesus said, No. Be different. How's anyone going to see the difference I make in your life if you're no, no different than they are? And then he goes on to say, And the Lord said, Touch no unclean thing. And when we do that, when we live a distinctive life, notice what God will do. Our responsibility is to be distinct. Then God says, here's what I'll do. I'll welcome you. The word means to favor or bless. We want God's blessing? Then we need to live distinctive lives. And he goes on to say, and I will be a father to you. This word for father means a teacher, to train. God says, I'll put you in my school. I'll teach you and train you things that you couldn't imagine. And then he says, and you will be my sons and daughters. And and the Bible uses the concept of sons and daughters with God, just like we would do today, that sons and daughters should have some kind of resemblance to their parents. And God is saying, when you are distinct, and you and I begin to cooperate and walk down the same road, you're going to begin to look more like me. You're going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And then finally, these last words, don't don't miss these. He says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the all-powerful Lord. It's the Greek word pantocrator, This is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used for God except in the book of Revelation. This is the only place, I guess I should say it this way, outside of the book of Revelation where this description of God is used in the New Testament. Right here in 2 Corinthians. The only other place. Every other time, pantocrator is used in the Greek New Testament. It's found in the book of Revelation. Obviously, a book that wants to remind everybody, God is the all-powerful Lord. He is the almighty ruler of all. 
And if you study this in the Greek language, literally what it means is the one who has his hand on everything. In other words, he's got it. He's in control. So the final thing Paul is sort of saying here is when you and I cooperate with God and we walk with God, one of the things that's going to build into our lives and obviously bring confidence is we're going to know God's got it. He's in control. He hasn't lost anything. There's never a time with God where he's up there on the throne in heaven and something happens on earth and he looks at the other persons of the Godhead and goes, you know, what are we going to do? Or Nothing ever catches God by surprise. Nothing that ever happens is like, you know, somehow God doesn't know what to do or how to handle it. It's just the opposite. God's got his hand on everything. God is in control. God is always on the throne. And when you and I realize that and remember that and live by that every day, that should bring great confidence in our life. He is the all-powerful, almighty Lord, the ruler of the universe, the King of kings. There is no one higher, no one greater than Him. And He's got you. And He's got your life. And He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's got it. Rest in Him. Trust in Him. He is the Almighty Lord. The One who has His hand on everything. So Paul here, in the midst of this great chapter, on encouraging the Corinthians to cooperate with God, to be fellow workers with God. Paul had a personal message for them. Paul said, I need to stop for a moment. And I need to tell you once again, I love you. My heart is open to you. I hope that you will reciprocate my love. Because there is nothing more hurtful than loving someone and wanting to love someone and being totally shut down. It hurts. We all know it hurts. God knows it hurts. Because how many times through history has His own creation, has He reached out to them, just like Jesus, and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And time and time again, God so loved this world. And men and women say, no. Don't need you, God. Don't want you. I can do fine without you. So God understands. God knows what it feels like to be pushed away when all He wants to do is love somebody. And Paul's just saying to the Corinthians, I just want to love you. Let me love you. Open up your heart to me. Tonight, as we go to prayer and as we close our Bible study tonight, I think my number one prayer for all of us is that we would just be open and receptive to God. 
In fact, I wrote this in my Bible to remind me of this truth. The person who has met God is not looking for anything. He has found it. We live in a world where even Christians are continually looking for something. And if they already have God, why are they looking? Instead of enjoying God and all that God can bring to their life, they somehow take God into their life and then keep looking. As if they're ever going to find anything greater than more fulfilling, more satisfying than the God they already have. When a person truly meets God, they don't need to be looking. They found everything and anyone and anything they'll ever need. And Paul certainly won the Corinthians to realize that as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Paul's heart. A heart, God, that that had to be broken. A heart that had to be molded. But a heart that was greatly used by you. And all that Paul went through in his life. He's so transparent here in this letter to the Corinthians. Because he wants them to see His heart even for them. And be willing to not close up their affections to Him because Paul understands, in a sense, if they're closing themselves off to Paul, they're also in some way closing themselves off to God. Because God wanted to use Paul in their life. And they refused. God, help us tonight to open up ourselves to You. We will never find or discover a greater love than Yours. And yet so many, Lord, never open themselves up and allow You to love them like You want to love them. Maybe it's because they don't feel they deserve that kind of love. But God, it was never about us deserving it. It's just because You want to love us. It's by Your grace. And God also, not only may we be open to You and Your love, but Lord, may we be a people that are receptive to Your grace. May we be reminded as Christians that each and everything that we go through in life, every life situation, You will be faithful to dispense the grace we need to get through it, to deal with it, to rise above it. And in each and every situation, we have a choice as a Christian of either receiving Your grace and moving through it, learning from it, building endurance and strength, or pushing it away, rejecting it, and beginning to become very resentful and bitter. And God, maybe even tonight, maybe there's even someone here. They're here tonight, God, but if they were honest, they have a root of bitterness deep inside their life.
And it's been there for a while. It's gotten rooted and grounded. And God, you are the only one that can go down in and perform a surgery to take out that root. So God, I pray tonight that if there are any here that has pushed your grace away and become bitter or resentful towards you or towards others, God, they would allow you to perform whatever surgery you need to get that root out of their life so that they can truly begin to enjoy life with you and with others again. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. We'll see you. Some of you will see you Saturday night at the baptism. Others will.